big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Before we begin today, we want to thank our newest patrons, Danny, Sarah, Ashley, and Anna. Welcome to the team. If you want to be like them and get access to bonus content like our notes and silly videos of us making Jane Austen-themed drinks, head on over to patreon.com slash podandprejudice. And now, enjoy this week's episode covering Pride and Prejudice and Zombies with our guest, Mike Schubert. I think that you and I are matching tops right now, Mike. Oh, yeah. As we planned telepathically this morning. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Becca, you did not get the memo? Um, I mean, it is blue and floral and it's a dress. All right, there you Does go. Does that count-ish? Yeah. Nailed it. We're all ready to go. Totally. As is perfect for Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, totally blue floral aesthetics. Well, I dribbled a little bit of like cornstarch blood down my back to like really Ooh. go into the mood. You just can't see it. So like I'm on theme. It's just little hidden. Perfect. Wonderful. Love to see it. This is Becca. This is Molly. We are here to talk about Jane Austen-ish. Yeah, we're here to talk about Jane Austen adjacent things, Jane Austen related things. And we are joined with a returning guest who all of you seem to love. We are joined again by Mike Schubert. How is it going, Mike? Well, it's good now that I've been told everyone listening loves me, or at least <laughs> seems to. So, no, it's great to be back. It's it's very fun to be here, and I was glad to be given the opportunity to finally check these two versions of Pride and Prejudice off my list of, oh, yeah, I've been meaning to read that, and oh, yeah, I've been meaning to watch that. And what better way than to talk about it with you two? Oh, we're so flattered. So... In case any of our listeners who might love you but don't know anything about you are <laughs> listening, uh, do you want to give us a quick rundown of what you do in the whole podcasting world? Sure. So I'm a full-time podcaster. I make a bunch of shows. The one that started it all was Potterless, where I never read the Harry Potter books as a kid, so it was me reading them for the first time as an adult. Did that for like five years, and then I ran out of stuff, and then JK was like very publicly transphobic, so I was like, all right, I'm out of here. Uh, now I'm doing a similar structure, but with the Percy Jackson books on a podcast called The Newest Olympian. But I also have some other podcasts called Meddling Adults, which is a game show for charity where people compete to solve children's mysteries, or Horse, which is a comedic basketball podcast, and Modern Muckraker, which is a spoof of like an investigative journalism show where we answer very serious and important questions like, is the budget of East High from High School Musical realistic for a public school in Albuquerque, New Mexico? We interview highly overqualified people and... That's uh, that's the stuff I do. Whole bunch of podcasts, and it's a fun time. On the note of whether or not the East High budget was 
realistic. There was a large joke in my school that for some reason the drama department had a crazy amount more money than all of the other departments because we did. And I no one knew why except for the very seedy fact that my theater teacher was the ex-wife of the principal. And I think there was some guilt there. Oh, <laughs> interesting. This is all speculation. I cannot confirm any of this. So this was just rumors that went around my high school. But there was certainly uh, a lot of mystery as to whether or not <laughs> there was a legitimate reason our budget was so huge. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I mean, definitely the highest portion of East High's budget was the theater department. And when you get into high school's musical, or at least the th when you get into high school musical three, at that point, you're basically running a full Broadway production in a public school in Albuquerque, New Mexico, even though they filmed it in Salt Lake City, Utah. <laughs> and it's wild stuff. I have to say, I am a big High School Musical fan, but I only saw High School Musical 3 once in the theaters. Uh, I was too old to be going to see it in the theaters, um, but I went with all my friends and I sat by myself because they weren't taking it seriously enough. And Good. then <laughs> in retrospect, I listened to your episode on the budget of East High because big fan of High School Musical. And then I started dating someone with a sound bar. And to test her sound bar, what she does is she plays Can I Have This Dance mm. from High School Musical 3. So we watched it on the TV. And I couldn't stop thinking about how your expert said that the that wouldn't hold up that roof. So <laughs> thank you for that. Yeah, I'm glad that I could provide some interesting contextual things. Yeah, we talked to a guy who does literal building construction about how the roof would not make any sense. But yeah, if you want to hear that, it's a fun episode of modern muckraker i'm very biased but i think it's very good fantastic amazing well this is a jane austen podcast and not a high school musical podcast surprisingly don't worry i'm gonna derail this whole thing baby we're amazing. talking <laughs> <laughs> usually listeners we ask our guests questions about their relationship to jane austen at the top of every episode but this time we thought uh we would put a fun spin on it because we're doing because what are we what are we covering oh my today? gosh i didn't even tell them we're covering Pride and Prejudice and Zombies by Seth Graham Smith. And we are also covering the 2016 movie adaptation of the book. Yes. Spooky. Yeah. So we thought we would ask Mike about his relationship to zombies. So, Mike, to start it off, what is your overarching relationship to zombies? I think zombie movies and zombie video games and stuff are very fun. I think they got a little overplayed in like the early 2010s-ish era where it felt like everything coming out was that. But I still think it's very fun. I always enjoy seeing different spins on how it works or how what the rules are, how the plague started, etc. I feel like the pinnacle of it is Shaun of the Dead. It's just truly perfect because I feel like the only time zombie movies are not fun are when they take themselves too seriously about the zombie thing, or it's like, clearly there's science behind this. It's like, all right, guys, cool. It's zombie movie. Maybe don't. So I'll get into how I feel about the movie's portrayal, because I think they take it very seriously, so seriously. sometimes so much so that it's not fun. So I think zombie stuff is very fun. I definitely enjoy it. I and I skew towards liking the sillier versions of them, like that, and then warm bodies. Like that kind of stuff is more fun. I didn't necessarily love The Walking Dead, the TV show. I did really enjoy The Walking Dead Telltale game where you get to choose your own adventure stuff. That was very fun. So I, I like zombie stuff. I've definitely consumed a fair share of it movies wise and video game wise. So it was fun to see the, the twist that they brought to the Jane Austen cinematic universe. 
I definitely agree on the idea that zombies must be absurd to be fun. Um, but that does, I think you already answered the second question, but uh, to reiterate, what is your favorite zombie content? Yeah, I, I would definitely say I really enjoy Shaun of the Dead. I think in terms of like movies that are a little like more serious, I did really enjoy I Am Legend when it came out, but I was mm-hmm. also 14 when it came out. So I feel like I was the target demographic. <laughs> <laughs> And video game wise, I'm trying to uh, left like Left 4 Dead is really fun as well, which is a good one. And then the the Telltale game I thought was very fun as well, because I think some of the interesting stuff with zombies is having to make tough decisions. And that's basically exactly what the Walking Dead Telltale game was. And I'm still crushed because I played it in college. And I was in I think I was like halfway through the second game. And then my laptop crashed. and we had like a tech thing at school where they could fix your broken laptops. And basically they were like, we were able to restore everything except for this one portion of your C drive. And it was that folder contained like all my Steam game saves. So I never got to finish it. That is tragic. Oh no. That actually happened with my best friend in Skyrim. I think she logged like 300 hours over years on Skyrim. And then it crashed and lost all of her gameplay. And I'd never seen her more upset about anything in like the 10 years we've been friends. Oh, devastating. That is really tragic. I have a follow-up question. I could Google this, but Shaun of the Dead, uh, is that about a sheep? No. Oh. Not at all. <laughs> you are mixing Shaun the Sheep. Oh, okay. <laughs> Shaun of the Dead, it's by the guys, Simon Pegg, and I forget the other guy's name, who do like Hot Fuzz and some sort of like end of the universe one, but they definitely do Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead was like their first one they did together. And it's just like a very British comedic zombie movie. And it's it's the they hit right the perfect intersection of being fun and funny which is what I think Pride and Prejudice and Zombies the movie tried to do, and they did not hit it at all. I think that's what the book did perfectly. Yes, yes. Yeah. I think the book nails it. I think the movie. Molly, should we share our favorite zombie content? Yes. My favorite zombie content is actually the movie Little Monsters, which came out recently starring Lupita Nyong'o, and it is... Have you seen this movie? So I haven't. The only reason I know of it is because one of my friends tweeted something about Little Monsters, and I was like, oh my God, I didn't think anybody else watched that Fred Savage movie from 1996. (laughs) And it it turned out that, yeah, that's true, because it's just a different movie of the same name. But Little Monsters is like this early 90s, terrible Fred Savage movie about getting sucked into the world. It's like the precursor to Monsters, Inc. He gets sucked into like the world of the monsters that live under his bed. Ah. And it's horrible. It's truly horrendous. Oh, that's sad because that sounds fun. But The um, Little Monsters is a, it's a zombie movie about a kindergarten class at a petting zoo on a field trip that turns into a zombie apocalypse. Okay. It's okay. so good. It's so stupid. And Josh Gad is in it playing... Um, a children's celebrity, and it is his finest work. Wow, I'll have to check that out. I don't know that I have a favorite zombie content. I'm not a big zombie person, so this was new for me, actually. That does bring us to our next question. Which zombie do you most relate to? I feel like if I'm picking a zombie, I would probably be the one mumbling brains because I am a very hungry boy often. And when I do get hungry, I get very one track mind. I need to figure out when I'm getting food, how we're getting food, et cetera. 
I will kind of shut down into autopilot mode if I'm hungry and it doesn't seem like food is immediately on the horizon. So I feel like that would be me, the zombie that just really wants to get some brains in the stomach to satisfy the desire and the hunger. Very fair pick. I think for me, it would probably be the uh, one of the ever encroaching zombies, the ones that move really slowly in a mass because I enjoy a walk mm. with my friends very mm. much. It's my favorite form of exercise. <laughs> so I feel like that's me <laughs> on a general basis. It's just ever encroaching and walking leisurely through the countryside. Mm-hmm. I think I would maybe be one of the zombies that's eating a pig's blood. Spoiler alert for the movie, because I'm vegan. So it's kind of like the zombie equivalent of that. Right. Pigs famously are plants. It's like the the Twilight uh, vampires. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is everyone familiar with the, the, the film franchise and the book franchise uh, Twilight by Stephanie Meyer? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> the very uh, classic literature. Twilight. I think uh, we have two more questions. Uh, What is your hottest zombie take? I guess the hottest take in terms of like the one take that I've had that people have ever gotten upset with me is that The Walking Dead got bad in season two. And I'm pretty sure it's in season 654 now. (laughs) But season two was horrible. It was really bad. It was genuinely garbage. And I know a lot of people eventually trailed off later seasons and stuff but i got a couple episodes into season two i was like this is awful and i got out and i think i was partially skewed because i want to say my friend was ahead of me either in season three or season four and he was like actively complaining about it so i feel like it was kind of losing steam and then i saw the writing on the wall and i bounced it i just got i could very much tell and this is i guess i'm nostradamus but i was like the way season one worked I was like, okay, this show is just going to like go to the point where at the end of every season, it seems like it's going well. And then if they get renewed, things will go poorly and they're going to do this until they stop making money. It's going to be like Grey's Anatomy or How I Met Your Mother or whatever, where they sabotage the show in order to keep it going. And I got burned by How I Met Your Mother when like clearly they got renewed for three more seasons in season five. And Ted Mosby was like, what if I just dated people that made no sense at all? And I was like, this is awful. I hate this. This is so bad. You've ruined the premise of the show. And I saw that happening with The Walking Dead, and I just got out in season two. Very prescient. My boyfriend, Mike, is going to be so heartbroken. He does love that show. But I think he also now watches it the way that people who still watch Grey's Anatomy watch Grey's Anatomy, which is like, why is this still on? I can't stop now because I've put this much time in, but I hate it. That's what my wife was at when I want to say, I don't know if she's, I don't think she still watches it, but I want to say she was like, begrudgingly watching seasons eight and nine and like actively that kind of sentiment. And I just remember telling her like, there's so many other things you can do, Kelly. And she doesn't even like scary stuff that much. So she was <laughs> like, it's, it was like actively stressful for her to watch a thing that she was angry about where the plot was. I was like, Kelly, there's so many other things you can do. Just leave. It's okay. Sunk cost fallacy. Just get out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is my message to Mike. Get out. You don't have to keep watching Walking Dead. Get out and watch Get Out, a better thriller movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that is a great thriller. Uh, no zombies in that one. None. I mean, there's this like, yeah. zombie-ish yeah, does, vibes. If, if Us counts as zombie movies, that would be in my top. But I don't know if Us truly counts as zombies, though it's quite zombie-esque. Yes, when I watched Us, I actually, that night, that movie was so good, but one that I simply can never watch again because I was so disturbed. I woke up in the middle of the night, like, about, like I thought I was going to throw up. I 
was just like dry heaving because I couldn't stop thinking about the movie. It's so good. It's Ugh. so good. Good cinema. Good cinema. Makes you vomit in the middle of the night. That's how you know it's good. <laughs> so for our last zombie question, what would your role be in the zombie apocalypse? Okay. I would like to try to plan out some sort of find the safest place and then just fend off zombies until the end of time. Because I feel like the big mistake is always trying to move around. Mm -hmm. Find some sort of safe place where you can barricade it properly. And then in terms of weaponry, I've always enjoyed baseball bat that has a bunch of nails poked through it as a zombie weapon. Because I grew up playing a bunch of baseball, so baseball swing is very natural to me. And then having the spiky element to it is good. I know in a later season of The Walking Dead, there was a guy who had a baseball bat with barbed wire wrapped around it, which like looks cool, but I feel like it's going to get stuck in anything that you hit. Whereas I feel like a nail, you'll get the pokiness, but it's not going to get lodged in a zombie. So that would be my weapon of choice. And then, yeah, role wise, I would be very much trying to strategize so that we can stay safe because I feel like lack of planning is usually the group's downfall. You got to really try to get together and and utilizing everyone's strengths. I think teamwork makes the dream work. And in a zombie apocalypse, you got to try to find out who's good at what role and make sure everybody's working in a nice, cohesive manner. I just had an idea while you were talking for a franchise based on what we were talking about earlier and based on your weapon of choice and also teamwork making the dream work. Hear me out. High School Musical and Zombies. Let's go. In which I don't dance. Yes. They're playing baseball, but with nails stuck through their baseball bats and just like whacking off zombies together. I love it. Except we'll call it I Don't Kill Zombies because that song is inherently about doing something and saying you're not doing it. <laughs> so true. That's good. I think High School Musical and Zombies would be very good. I, I feel like you can make it happen for sure. It would fit in flawlessly. Speaking of heartwarming rom-com like classics, with zombies. Today, our discussion of Pride and Prejudice and zombies is very exciting to us as some of our first uh, content outside of the strict Jane Austen canon. Just a couple fun facts about Pride and Prejudice and zombies. So for those of you who are not aware, it is a book written by uh, Seth Graham Smith that came out in 2009, and it was a huge success. And then there was a movie made in 2016, and we'll go into it. It was less of a success, but it is basically the premise of the book is that it is Pride and Prejudice, as you and I and Molly have now read, but the entire time there's a zombie apocalypse going on amongst the courting. It's delightfully silly, uh, but if you haven't read it and you want to read it, we are going to issue a spoiler warning right now. It is the same plot as Pride and Prejudice, so... You are familiar with that part of the plot. However, we are going to talk about where the zombies get into the plot and where they intersect with the plot. So if that is not something you want spoiled for yourself, I encourage you to go read the book, read a Wikipedia page about the movie, and then come back. <laughs> but don't watch the movie. And then come back and uh, hang out and listen to our podcast. Some more fun facts about Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Uh, the movie, which was directed by our pal Burr Steers, was produced by Natalie Portman and team. What? Yeah, she was one of the producers. Whoa. Did we double fact check that too? Because we saw her name in the credits. Yes. Well, I went on the Wikipedia page because uh, to be completely honest, I watched the movie last night and was so confused that I did go and read a full synopsis on Wikipedia this morning and it did say produced by Natalie Portman. So thank you, Natalie, for this 
uh, art. Thanks, Nat. Additionally, in the book, I read the foreword by the author, Seth Graham Smith, and I thought it was really interesting the way that he wrote this book, which was he straight up copied and pasted the text of Pride and Prejudice into a Word document and then changed his font to red and made sure that he added something in red on each page. And that was pretty much it. Yeah. I mean, it feels exactly like that. Yeah, I, I was going to say, we should clarify, this is not a book written by Seth Graham Smith. It's right. a book written by Jane Austen, and Seth did some stuff too. Yes. <laughs> like, while reading the book, I was actively wondering, how much money did he make off of this? I know that it is fair use because of public domain, because it's so old, but it feels like he shouldn't make a dollar off of it, because <laughs> it's a great concept, but like he barely did anything. <laughs> and I don't know, like, I guess you can make money if you just republish Pride and Prejudice, which is like basically what he did, which is very fun. It does feel like he is aware of how little he really did for the book, because on the front of the book, it says by Jane Austen and Seth Graham Smith. And then even on the back, when it shouts out the writers, it says Jane Austen is the, uh, you know, the legendary author of Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice, blah, blah, blah. Seth took an English class once. So <laughs> I like that makes a lot more sense. But yeah, that that description of Wikipedia page and every now and then put some stuff in while reading it. That is exactly what I felt like he did. And I was it's one of those ideas that's so good. You're mad you didn't do it yourself because like, honestly, a super easy way to make a living. <laughs> Totally, because this book won like accolades. Like it was very well received and it's so dumb. <laughs> like I, I'm just shocked, but it's because everyone was like, this hasn't been done before. Yeah, it's such a good idea. And I, I, I read the Wikipedia page about the book just to learn more about like how it got made. And it was some someone who worked at Cork Books, the people that publish it thought of the idea just because of the title and then came to Seth with the idea. So that is what what a gift to be dropped at your feet of, hello, I have an idea for something that no one's ever done. It will also be pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> I would say there is a sort of split in the Jane Austen community as to what, how people feel about Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. And this is sort of captured in the afterword of the book uh, where a Jane Austen scholar talks about how some Jane Austen academics are not a fan of this book and believe it's sort of shocking and bastardizing of the original text, whereas many others think it is so delightfully fun and that it is a great opportunity to take Jane Austen's words a little less seriously and that Jane herself did not take her words super seriously. So I tend to fall on the fact it's it's really like it's a joy to read this book in any form. And I find it to be joyful to read a book that is just so absurd and so stupid in such a fun way. So I think in whole, Seth Grinsmith has given us a, a gift of repackaging Jane Austen with another hint that it is a comedy and something very fun that you can poke at as much as you want. Yeah, I, th I think it's very fun. I do think definitely for the book, if you don't already like Pride and Prejudice, you will not like the book because it is 85% just Pride and Prejudice. And then every now and then some stuff either gets tweaked or sentences added that are about zombies. And I feel like for the movie, they very much were like, we should try to appeal to everybody. Everybody likes zombies, right? And then they lost all of the Pride and Prejudice fun out of it. So I feel like it's one of those things where it's okay if it doesn't appeal to everybody. And I personally enjoyed it as someone who likes Pride and Prejudice and hadn't reread it in a while. 
and I also don't enjoy rereading books that much because it's, to me it's just I've already read it. Why would I read this one again as opposed to reading a new one or something? So it was a fun way for me to basically reread Pride and Prejudice, but with a slightly different lens on it. So I really appreciated it, but I also think Pride and Prejudice fucking slaps. Yeah. So I, like, I've, while reading it, I was like, if someone didn't like this, if they thought this was going to be their gateway into it, maybe not. But at the same time, I feel like you could give this to high school kids and this could get them over the hump of enjoying Pride and Prejudice. And I think it's great that this exists. I think the book is phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. My boyfriend, Mike, did not read Pride and Prejudice, but when he started dating me and knew I had a podcast about Jane Austen, did read this book and was like, I've read Pride and Prejudice now, just had zombies in it. <laughs> Honestly, yes. <laughs> totally. That is a really good segue into a very brief synopsis of both the book and the movie. Um, the book synopsis is a little shorter because uh, at first all I was going to say was that it is Pride and Prejudice and there are zombies. I mean, yeah. To clarify, <laughs> there are there's a zombie apocalypse going on. The Bennett sisters are highly trained in the martial arts. They are overall badasses. Basically, there's a zombie in every scene and they kill said zombies. The largest differing plot point being that Charlotte goes to Mary Collins because she has been stricken with the, what is it called? The strange mysterious plague. plague. Yes. Yes. The, she's going to be a manky dreadful as it's put in the books. Uh, we should say a little bit about sort of the logic of the zombies. Sure. In this, because I think the zombies differ from content to content in how they sort of operate. And they, the Pride and Prejudice zombies are an illness that I believe gets passed on through the zombie bite. Um, and it seems to have come over from the continent onto the onto Great Britain. And um, in this universe, the zombies don't seem to move very quickly, but they move in great hordes and they do not have uh, thoughts of their own necessarily. They just seek brains. And so the the terror of zombies is not as much if you are someone trained in the martial arts as they are if you're just a general Regency era person. There's also a giant fortress around London protecting it from the zombies. And most of the characters train in either Japan or China and would note to our listeners that it is not the most delicately phrased throughout the entire book, uh, how they talk about Japan or China. So just a warning from that perspective. I don't think any of us enjoyed that. No. no. And it, it just felt wholly unnecessary. And I feel like they played it up even more in the movie, which was, I feel, grosser. I get that they were trying to throw, oh, it's not only zombies, but also samurai stuff. But it felt like it could have been handled more delicately. It felt very much like last minute, like, yeah, what if they were samurais? And uh, that's about it. Yeah, it was a lot of um of ninja references and like all sorts of things. The The book overall, like, despite it being delightful in plot, there was a lot of racism and a lot of ableism, mm. which are both things that I did not love because the other main difference is that instead of uh, paying Wickham off after he, in this, abducts Lydia, Darcy paralyzes him from the waist down and he's just carried around in a bed the rest of the book. And it's like, that's his punishment, which I found yeah. pretty ableist and gross. So those things we did not like, listeners. Mm -mm. No, there were, there were definitely times reading the zombie portions where it felt very much like a 2009 edgy humor kind of thing. And unfortunately, sometimes the not so great elements of that comedic time era 
came through and made me feel a little gross. Absolutely. Yeah. What's weird is I read the like reissued version. I don't know what year it came out, but he was like, I've added even more zombies to this one. So I was like, well, you could have changed some other stuff, too, if you wanted to. Yeah. It's in the public domain. Yeah. And you wrote the original. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films, or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. But we'll get more into like what we what we liked and didn't like about this after we talk briefly about the movie synopsis, because a lot of what I liked and didn't like is in relation to the movie as well. So uh, I, I've done my best to write a very brief synopsis of the movie, which the first half is pretty much the same. And the second half just completely goes off the rails. Yep. So I'll just uh, I'll tell you all about that. So. Uh, as I said, the first half is pretty much the same as the book and the same as Pride and Prejudice. England is under zombie siege. We see this as the characters have to be inspected on their way into new places. Like in the first scene, Darcy is like being inspected for bites. Uh, felt very similar to like hmm, having to take a COVID test before going somewhere. <laughs> ah! But we won't go into that. <laughs> After Lizzie meets Wickham, so it's about like halfway through, Wickham brings Lizzie to a church full of zombies and tells her that these zombies are civilized because they eat pig brains. And he wants to show the crown that humans and zombies can coexist. He thinks this is the only way to end this plague. Lizzie then brings him to Lady Catherine, who is the best character ever. She is a certified badass. She wears an eye patch and she just like eats people's hearts for fun. And Lady Catherine just laughs in his face, basically. Then later on, Darcy proposes to Lizzie and she absolutely just beats his ass in the most epic proposal get-in ever. Then later he writes her a letter explaining that actually Wickham potentially murdered his father by uh, turning him into a zombie somehow. And Lizzie is horrified. 
then she arrives home and she finds out that Wickham has abducted Lydia and brought her to the zombie church. So then Darcy goes on to save Lydia and he learns that Wickham is using these civilized zombies to create a zombie army, which has overrun London based on Wickham's plan to rule the country. Darcy stops him by giving the zombies human brains, which I was very confused by when we watched the movie, but I guess this was to to make them less civilized so that they couldn't organize. So Darcy is (laughs) (laughs) anti-union. Then there's an epic battle in which Darcy stabs Wickham and learns that he's literally the Antichrist and has been undead all along. Then the bridge that they're standing on is blown up and Darcy is knocked the fuck out. Lizzie then confesses her love to his unconscious body and he hears her, which later, which gives him hope. So then he later proposes to her and there's a beautiful double wedding where Collins marries the two of them and then Bingley and Jane. And after the wedding, we see Wickham leading a horde of zombies to attack them uh, and it's left up to interpretation as to whether they survive. There's also briefly, for some reason, that the four horsemen of the apocalypse just in every couple scenes in the movie and it's never really explained yeah it's like the the coming of the end basically this movie is not uh hopeful for the survival of humankind whereas the the book sort of goes along the plot line of just pride and prejudice and ends there are still zombies the bennett sisters are married but they have love and fight zombies at the same time and it's sort of a happily ever after in a zombie apocalypse totally so that's the synopsis of the movie I wanted to talk a bit about like what changed in the adaptation from book to movie and what kind of got lost in translation there. One of my favorite things that was just completely missing is Charlotte slowly becoming a zombie and no one noticing. Yeah, I was very sad that it felt like some of the most fun stuff from the book didn't find its way into the movie. The Charlotte Lucas thing was one. And like the coolest, one of the coolest action scenes early on is when they blow up the lantern cart or whatever. And they kind of had that in the movie, but it was just one zombie. And then they just shoot her in the head. And then that's it. Mm -hmm. I just, I didn't understand how some of the more fun zombie elements didn't find its way into the movie. Because even when I was reading the book, part of me at times, because like the zombie stuff is fine. You can very much tell when not Jane Austen is writing, not only in terms of it being about zombies, but it's like huge step down in quality. It's like, oh, wow, Jane Austen's very good at writing. This guy's not that great. (laughs) And it was funny because while I was reading at times, I was like, "Uh, should I just be reading Pride and Prejudice instead? Like, are the zombies doing anything? And then part of me was like, "Uh, maybe there should be more zombies. Maybe I'm only annoyed because there's such a small percentage of this is the zombies. And then I watching the movie, I realized, okay, more zombies was not the answer because (laughs) the book is Pride and Prejudice and zombies. And I feel like the movie is zombies in the style of Pride and Prejudice. Like it completely loses the plot of Pride and Prejudice halfway through, just like you said. And even the intro is completely different. And I feel like what makes Pride and Prejudice and zombies, the book and just like the concept fun is that it is just Pride and Prejudice oh yeah, and zombies are here too. And so minimally there that sometimes you almost forget they're there, that it's fun. Like, I think the most fun I had reading the book was getting so engrossed in the Pride and Prejudice part. And then there would be a sentence about a zombie thing happening. And I remember, oh, right, 
there's also zombies here. And that w- that's what makes it really fun is that Pride and Prejudice is still a good story. And now we have a slightly different twist on it. And the movie was like, what if we made a zombie movie, but everyone was wearing old school clothes and dancing and was concerned about getting married? Like, it just didn't feel enough like Pride and Prejudice to be called Pride and Prejudice and zombies. Right. Like the main plot points of Pride and Prejudice are Darcy being an asshole, but like sort of being in love with Lizzie and Wickham being how he is and then Jane and Bingley and all of those plot points in the movie were kind of secondary to the zombies which was annoying because like well it was fun there was one moment in the beginning where Darcy at first he says the thing about Lizzie um being or Liz in this movie they kept calling her Liz which I found very jarring didn't like it didn't like it didn't like it uh but Darcy says the thing about Liz being tolerable but not handsome enough to tempt him and she gets really pissed and she walks away and accidentally breaks a glass and then she like runs outside and that's when she's faced with a, a zombie version of Miss Featherstone and Darcy comes and saves her which is very annoying because she can totally take care of herself but then she goes in and fights with her sisters against all the zombies that have overrun the ball and Darcy's watching her and and there's this like battle going on and he just turns to Bingley and he's like she's really hot and he like goes on about it and he's like wait a minute when she fights I'm in love with her so that was funny yeah the whole first half I found funny and like pretty true to the book until they decided that Wickham was literally the Antichrist. I cannot stress enough how many times I said Wickham is literally the Antichrist in this movie. It's so weird. It's very weird. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think um, going back to Mike's point about the book and it maybe not having enough zombies, I thought what was fun about the book and didn't always work, but mostly worked for me was the fact that it was just so casual. So one of the things that's so funny about it is that Jane Austen writes in such a proper, sharp, humorous manner. And Seth Graham Smith writes in a pretty gruesome manner. And this, I believe I read one more of his books, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. Great film. Which is also delightful. Quality film. That one was adapted better. And there will just be these prim and proper um, meals or uh, etiquette things. And then there will be a mention of someone shitting themselves or uh, Lizzie disemboweling someone. Or like there's like Mrs. Bennett getting all upset about Lydia being gone is accompanied by the fact that she carries a bucket around and it's just perpetually vomiting. It's disgusting. And I think it's so funny to pair the proper language of Jane Austen with like really disgusting imagery. I think with the zombies, they didn't exactly serve a plot point at all in the books. Like they literally could just be taken out and it would be the same story as it would. they were just popped in to a fully complete story. And I think there could have been a bit more of a circling the completing the circle on the zombie plot in the book it didn't bother me too much because it's mostly like the joke of hearing someone talk about the pustules of a zombie while they're at tea with lady Catherine de Berg or whatever but I do think that served a little bit of a problem and the movie trying to solve that problem didn't work (laughs) yeah I honestly feel like I enjoyed that in the book the zombies were so irrelevant to the plot because then it keeps the story about just Pride and Prejudice. And what you have signed up for by reading this book is Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. And I really enjoyed that they were basically just an afterthought in the book. And I think the biggest problem with the movie, even beyond them trying to make a nice circle, like you were saying, trying to have some sort of way to make them relevant, I think the biggest problem is that for a lot of the characters, 
instead of the reason why they are either loved or hated, or I guess both in the case of Darcy, in Pride and Prejudice, they decided to make that zombie-related. So Darcy isn't annoying and frustrating to Lizzie in the movie because he's Mr. Darcy and, you know, he's just keeps everything inside, doesn't communicate, all the reasons that he's a frustrating, complex character in the book. Instead, in the movie, it's because he's so afraid of the plague spreading and he takes the zombies too seriously and he doesn't trust anyone. They make him all about zombies and all the frustrations around Darcy point to zombies. And then, Molly, like you were saying with Wickham, they turn him into the Antichrist, and he's leading the zombie army and all this stuff, instead of just being a, you know, a shady piece of shit like he is in the book. And I was just so mad because you have these rich characters with these very well-written, already established ways of why we either love or hate them or whatever. And instead of keeping it to the reasons why we didn't, why we felt about them the way we did in the books both Pride and Prejudice and then Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, instead they were like, well, everything has to point back to zombies. And then they changed a lot of the characters and it just made it so frustrating and, and it just makes things not work. Like Lizzie's relationship with Darcy, I feel like doesn't make sense. Immediately she's in love with him, which is not how it is in Pride and Prejudice. Mm -mm. And then even the, the way it works where she leaves the ball and comes back and fights, like that was different than in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies where it was just like they were at the ball and then zombies came and then all the girls just fought them in a fun like five-star formation where they were still putting their hands behind their backs or whatever and doing it all permit proper. I don't know. It just felt like the movie tried so hard to make everything had to go back to the zombies. And I feel like what made the book so much fun is that the zombies like basically don't matter. And I think that's what makes it so much fun because you would expect it to matter and it's such a side thought that is still constantly there but just not important i think that's what makes it the most fun and i think the movie just completely fumbled the bag well speaking of the movie fumbling the bag one last fact about the movie that we did not get to share is that we looked up the box office returns on this movie it grossed approximately 16.4 million dollars worldwide and it cost over $28 million to make. I'm not, I, I'm not surprised. Yeah, it's weird, though, because if I had not read Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, and if I wasn't expecting, well, I guess I would be expecting Pride and Prejudice and Zombies because of the title, but I didn't hate the film. However, it didn't make a ton of sense to me. Um, like, they didn't really define the rules of the world very well. I had to turn to Becca and Mike and say, like, did he overtake London? Did I miss that? Like, how is he overtaking London? Why is Darcy feeding human brains to the civilized zombies? I don't understand. So many things didn't make sense to me, but I had fun, you know, but I don't think that people go necessarily to have fun uh, $28 million times <laughs> over, you know, like that makes sense to me that it definitely lost over less than half its budget, but almost half its budget. Speaking of, I, I also had fun watching this film. I think it was really fun to talk about some of the, the, the deficiencies, but it was also, it's never not fun to watch people in dresses fight zombies. Yes. It's really difficult to make that hard to watch. Um, and it was a thankfully short movie because I think if it had gone on longer, it just would, it got, it got like old towards the end, but I certainly really enjoyed the first hour. And particularly, I have to shout the one performance that made my entire life, which would be Matt Smith playing Mr. Collins. He was so good. The best Mr. Collins ever. Easily highlighted of the film. He was 
undoubtedly the best part. Yeah. We were watching this film and at some point we paused it and Mike was like, why is the best Mr. Collins in this film? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was honestly the most accurate to the book Mr. Collins that I've seen. I mean, he <laughs> captured so perfectly the sliminess, but like the almost unintentional sliminess that we want from Mr. Collins so that he's not the worst, but he's also the worst at the same time. Like he was the perfect blend of the 1995 Mr. Collins and the 2005 Mr. Collins, who's like so sweet and and innocent. And then the 1995, who's so grody and, and disgusting. Like he was the perfect blend. He had all the best line deliveries. We're going to talk about our favorite line deliveries from the movie. And he had all of them. They're all Mr. Collins. They're all Mr. <laughs> Collins. Oh, I mean, and that goes to show he was not involved at all in the zombie hunting or anything having to do with zombies. So he was the closest to his book counterpart in the original Pride and Prejudice yeah. of all the characters. And that's what made it the most fun is when it's close to Pride and Prejudice. And yeah, I, I still had a fun time. I definitely had a significantly less fun time once they decided to not make it Pride and Prejudice anymore. Mm -hmm. But even when they changed some of the stuff early on, I think what I respect about Seth Graham Smith is that he recognized I should not change the major plot writings of Jane Austen because who am I to do this? Whereas the movie, when they would change things, it was like, why do you, who, who making this movie was like, I have a an idea better than Jane Austen. You don't. You don't. You just don't. Whatever you're doing is you're not as good as Jane Austen. So why are you changing things? Like, come on. I don't know. It's like the audacity to do that is silly. And it's also just the whole fun of it is when it's pride and prejudice and in the movie they, they did a good job of it sometimes like when they're saying actual quotes from pride and prejudice while fighting each other and yes. stuff. that's the most fun it's the most fun part of the book most fun part of the movie and those parts were great when they add in other stuff or they change other things or whatever it's not fun like you shouldn't be trying to make a good standalone zombie movie you should be making Pride and Prejudice that also has zombies in it. Pride and Prejudice, a story that is so beloved, it gets remade in some shape or form every 10 years. Like, it just happens. Like, 10 years go by. It's like, all right, we got to make another one. And everyone goes, yes, please. And they watch it no matter what it is. If it's a movie, if it's a miniseries, whatever. People consume it. So why you, I don't, it's just, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Why would you adjust it? And I knew I was in for a bad ride when, during the movie's little opening credits thing, they did the animated pop-up book thing, which the art was very cool. But when they spend like five minutes explaining how the zombies work and going into the whole plot and the in-between and all this stuff, I was like, oh no, like this is going to be really bad. This is such an exposition dump that I had to rewind twice because they've just added so many rules and that's not fun. You don't need to you don't need to justify zombies in the Jane Austen universe. Just say it and we'll all go cool. Right. Like we know what we're getting into. You've already told us the title. Right. Yeah. We know what we've signed up for. There was like an era of film for a while where it's like movie studios forgot that films can be fun and stupid sometimes. Right. So like every movie that came out was so morose and so serious. Percy Jackson, the movie adaptation, is actually a perfect example of taking things too seriously. The Golden Compass adaptation, like 
these movies are like, it's supposed to be kind of dumb. It's supposed to be kind of campy. And if you lean away from that and into something like a little grimmer, you kind of lose what's enjoyable about it because then it just feels stupid. Yeah. I want to point to a few things that I love about the book that were also like very jarring, but that I loved and that were more things that were lost in the film. The book was weirdly sexual. There was one moment where Elizabeth like had Darcy's musket, uh, bullet things and she hands them to him and goes your balls Mr. Darcy which I thought was hilarious and then additionally Mrs. Gardner and all of those scenes is cheating on her husband with like some Polish man who she just like goes and has sex with and then returns and her husband's totally aware of it and it's just like I was like why is this happening but like I wish it happened in the movie too and also how intense the Bennett sisters all were I think they toned down a lot in the movie because especially Elizabeth she in the book when she's upset or or maybe it was Lydia um I don't remember who did this because in my notes I just wrote carving his name into her midriff I think it was Lydia when she was um obsessed with Wickham but she like carves his name into her stomach um (laughs) and like Lizzie is like taking people's hearts out of their chests and eating them. And these are all things that I think were lost because they had to make them a little bit more demure in the movie. And I, I was upset about that. Right. I, I think some of the most fun stuff with Lizzie is that she's already very independent and intense in Pride and Prejudice. And what they've decided to do, which I think is smart in the book, is that they kind of take that and ramp it up and then add she's also an accomplished warrior. And I think it was really funny in the book when immediately when Darcy kind of first makes her upset rather than her just be angry. And in the book, she's kind of in the original Pride and Prejudice, like, oh, whatever, screw this guy. And then in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, the book, it turns into I'll murder this guy. And I think it's really (laughs) funny. Yeah. And I was so angry in the movie when when that first thing happens and she goes outside and cries like, fuck off. That is not what Lizzie Bennett would do at all. I don't know who this Liz is, but like regular Lizzie Bennett in Pride and Prejudice doesn't cry over Darcy. She just goes, fuck this dude. And then in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, a book, she goes, I'll murder this dude. So then in the movie that she cries, I was like, this is whack. Like, yeah, I don't know if this person, whoever is in charge of the changing, didn't read the original Pride and Prejudice. Like what makes Pride and Prejudice fun is Lizzie just being very independent and strong and not caring and going against the the norms. And then two, everybody just gossiping and talking shit all the time. Yeah. And then they got rid of so much of the gossiping element and they just made everything zombies. Like the trash talk in Pride and Prejudice is the most fun part. And that getting completely lost in the movies was sad. But that staying in the book was great. And then some of the trash talk every now and then being zombie related was so fun. And that's the most fun stuff is like taking what's already fun about Pride and Prejudice and then adding zombies to be like, oh, that's funny if you interpret it a little differently. And I think the movie just changed too much. Yeah. And I think the um, I think a perfect encapsulation of what was great about the book is actually I'm going to shout out one scene in particular that was my favorite scene. It's um, when Lizzie's kind of flirting with Colonel Fitzwilliam. And uh, she wants to show her, quote, finger strength. And so she (laughs) ties up her skirts to herself and gets on the floor and holds herself up by one finger. And while she's doing this, she's just insulting Darcy and like telling him he's full of shit. And it actually goes perfectly hand in hand with a moment in the book, the original book, Pride and Prejudice, where 
uh, Lizzie plays the piano and then says to Mr. Darcy, like, I could be better at playing the piano if I practiced more when he sort of says, oh, I'm bad with people, implying that, yeah, it's kind of your fault you're bad with people. You should practice more. But instead, (laughs) applying it to her finger strength while she's got her, like, dress tied to her ankles and is just upside down, uh, holding her whole body weight on one finger is my favorite image I got from the books, I think. Yeah, I was devastated that that wasn't in the movie. I was devastated that Fitzwilliam wasn't in the movie. I'm always devastated when they cut Fitzwilliam down. He's the best character. I was very confused by just the complete omission. I get that it was a short movie and you got to cut some stuff, but I don't know, maybe get rid of some of the, like there was a lot of Wickham. There was too much, so much Wickham. Too much Wickham. Every time he came back and they kept adding more stuff to him, I was like, really? This much? Yeah. For Wickham? But again, he was literally the Antichrist. I know. I just, I get that like, He's, I guess, he's the most bad guy in Pride and Prejudice, but like, I don't know. Part of me when I was watching this, I was like, was this written by like a descendant of Wickham where they're like, <laughs> he's got to really be important in this movie. It's really funny. My main critique of 2005's version of Pride and Prejudice is that there's not enough Wickham. So it doesn't highlight the problems of the love triangle between Wickham and Darcy and Lizzie. But it's almost like someone heard that critique of 2005 Pride and Prejudice and was like, oh, you want more Wickham? And just went on all the Wickham. Here, have a movie about him being the literal Antichrist. So much. It ends with a freeze frame of him leading an army of zombies to Lizzie and Darcy, like one-handed with like, what is he even holding? I don't even know. Uh, it, That's his hand. That's his arm, his new bionic arm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't even get that that was a bionic arm. I didn't until I read the Wikipedia page this morning because, again, I was so confused last night. So they don't have incandescent lighting, but they have bionic arms? I, I don't know. It was all very weird. Uh, though, jumping back to what you were saying about that one scene when she's standing on her fingers being a perfect representation of the piano scene in the book, I loved in the movie when she and Lady Catherine were fighting and Lady Catherine, or well, sorry, she and Lady Catherine's um, like stand-in fighting man were fighting and Lady Catherine was like, are you afraid yet, Lizzie? And Lizzie was like, my courage always rises at any attempt to intimidate me, which is a pull from the book Pride and Prejudice. And I thought that was brilliant because it fit in there so well. And also it captures how Lizzie is, like you were saying, Mike, such a badass in the original book. And that's the energy that we really needed from her in this. Lady Catherine also, it should be said. In the book, she's, you know, the classic Lady Catherine, aside from being a zombie fighter. In the movie, she actually sees that, like, she can help. They're all on the same team in the movie, which I liked. Like, they're all against the zombies. So Lady Catherine ended up, like, protecting the Bennett family, um, which was weird, but, but cool, especially because this Lady Catherine was hot. Uh, like young and hot, had an eye patch. Lena Haiti. Who's that? Cersei Lannister. I know that character exists in Game of Thrones, but I've watched none of it's, it. It's okay. I'm not actually like, so like weird tangent story. I read all the Game of Thrones books and I have stopped watching the TV show and have almost religiously avoided spoilers for the TV show because it is not the books. And I still hold out hope for George R. R. Martin to finish the book series, which is sort of like waiting for Godot, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> but that being said, Lena Haiti plays Cersei Lannister, a um, viciously evil character in Game of Thrones and famously extremely hot character in Game of Thrones. So Lena Haiti is a very hot, powerful woman playing Lady Catherine de Bourgh. Not to say Judy Dench is not also a hot and powerful woman. Sure, totally. Just um, of a different sort of vein. Yes. Yeah. 
I, I do think it was fun in the book when you would take a character and by you, I guess I mean Seth, when Seth would take a character that wasn't super integral to the plot and then change some stuff. So I did find it interesting when Lady Catherine was someone that Lizzie admired and was yeah. impressed by and aspired to be like. I thought that was a fun little twist. And then same thing with the Charlie Lucas slowly becoming a zombie. I think it was fun for Seth to try to find characters that in the grand scheme of things from like the main story don't necessarily impact it so much so that we can't tweak some stuff. So I thought finding those ways to change things was really fun. And I think that, again, that, that's what makes the book the most fun is knowing what happens in Pride and Prejudice, then reading Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and going, oh, they changed that. Oh, they changed that. Like, honestly, I think it would be kind of fun to have the version where all of the addition, like all the additions were in a different font or color or whatever. I know that would kind of ruin the like some of the most fun reading it is when you're halfway through a sentence and then it it's a, a part you remember from Pride and Prejudice and then it changes into a zombie thing by the end of it, especially if it's like a famous quote and then there's just like a clause added at the end. Like every now and then it would, you know, have some sort of quote about a woman's worth or whatever and then it would be comma and her ability to, you know, rip the hearts out of the undead or something. Like that stuff was super fun. Yeah. But also part of me kind of wanted a... I would have loved like a no fear Shakespeare type version where mm, yes, I knew yes. like a lot of times reading it, I wanted to be like, oh yeah, what is that? Like how exactly did that happen in the original? Like I feel like the most fun way to consume this would be reading it fresh off of consuming original Pride and Prejudice in some other form so that it's super fresh in your mind what exactly is different. Because I think that's the most fun stuff is when little tiny changes happen or little additions happen. And I think that's what makes the, makes the book work is that it's all just tiny little minor adjustments as opposed to giant swerves out of the original. I agree. I also think it's crazy that that to the point of tweaking some of the minor characters, there were a couple tweaks to the plot that actually affected the the characterizations of some of our main characters. And I think for me, the biggest one is uh, Darcy, because in the original book, you have him keeping Bingley away from Jane because Jane seems somewhat disinterested and her family's totally ridiculous. Um, and in this, it's he keeps her away from Bingley because he thinks she is stricken by the zombie plague. And that's actually a really sympathetic reason to do it, yeah. to try to protect his friend. It feels much closer to something that is a genuine misunderstanding where he really had his friend's best interests in heart. And it's totally understandable why he would think that because in this version, Jane does still get sick on her walk, but after fighting a zombie. Yeah. So it it feels very reasonable to, for him to think she might actually have the zombie plague. And I thought that actually made Darcy a more sympathetic character in the first instance than in the actual original book of Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, honestly, yeah. And and I do think it, it, one of the things that when I originally read Pride and Prejudice, I was like, okay, maybe maybe medicine was whack and terrible back in the day. But I did always find it weird that Jane like gets caught in the rain and then is sick for like a million years. <laughs> so for that to be more of a zombie-related concern, I felt made much more sense. And it did work in the movie too because they've made Darcy hyper-concerned about the zombies. So that, at least in the, you know, the, the first half of the movie, which we all enjoyed, I think that made a whole lot of sense. And I thought that that was fun. I think when the zombies could come in, you, you don't have to change that much. It's cool. And 
I think that was a, a great justification. I think I think you're right. It like weirdly made more sense than, than original Darcy. Yeah. Original Darcy was a slightly bit more of an asshole and that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, true, true. Uh, I think that it's fun to also make Elizabeth feel a little dumber in this because, you know, it, she's, if anything, even more self-assured because she just slices through everyone with her katana. Yes. Oh, I love that. Oh, hot. Honestly. I think it would be cool. Um, I just thought of this because, um, Mike, you were saying that you thought it was whack that Jane gets so sick. In Sense and Sensibility, our girl Marianne gets very sick from hanging out in the rain too long as well and, like, sick, so sick that she almost dies. And I think it would be cool. Maybe this already exists. I know that Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters exists, but what I want is Sense and Sensibility and Zombies in the same style as Pride and Prejudice and Zombies because I think that you wouldn't actually have to change very much at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I will say this. Our girl Marianne did not just get sick in the rain. She also had severe depression oh, that yeah, yeah, uh, fair, compromised fair, fair. her immune system. She, yeah, she was. She almost died. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> one thing that I wanted to shout out was I listened to the audiobook of this, and I think that you did as well, Becca. Oh. Charlotte slowly transforming into a zombie and no one noticing sounded like I mean, it was the funniest thing ever because Charlotte's lines were all read like, oh, Lizzie, whatever <laughs> come there for me. And nobody noticed that she was turning into a zombie except for Elizabeth. Um, and then she later confronts Catherine about it. And Lady Catherine's like, you think I didn't notice? I've been feeding her this potion to keep her alive, which is another thing that they totally just cut out of the movie. But I just thought that was hilarious. So shouts to the narrator of the audiobook, Catherine Kelgren. You did great. Nice. Oh, she was, if you are someone who wants to read this book, but you don't necessarily want to sit down and open it up page by page, the audiobook on this, I'm not usually a fan of novels in audiobook form, but it is excellent. I don't know, Mike, if you did any audiobook listening with this or you just went straight book. No, I read it on the beach in the Dominican Republic and it was a joy. Amazing. <laughs> oh, that is the best way to read a book ever. I finished up two towers from the Lord of the Rings series that way. And let me tell you, it was tricky. <laughs> that is a tricky beach read. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely I love reading on the beach. It, I, it was something I didn't do until my honeymoon with my wife. We also went to the Dominican Republic. We were there recently because our friend had a destination wedding. But I was not like a big relax on the beach guy. I grew up near the Jersey Shore and we would just I would do like beach water sports all the time. So when my parents and other adults would just want to read on the beach, be like, why? If you're at the beach, you got to like do fun stuff. And then having a whole ass wedding, when you go on the honeymoon, all you want to do is sit and do nothing. Yeah. And that's when I learned the joys of reading on the beach. And man, it's so good. And, <laughs> and I, I've definitely done a lot of reading on the beach now, but all of the books I read are like not beach reads. Like I've read two basketball books. Uh, like basketball history books, one book about a tribe called Quest, the rap group written by a poet, and then Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. So like, <laughs> not the normal like, oh, you know, Shopaholic or oh, J Jack Grisham or whatever the heck, like, you know, a, a little thriller or whatever. I, I just <laughs> I have a very different interpretation of Beach Read, but it's a great time. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies on the Beach. It's lovely. <laughs> I actually was going to say of all those books, I feel like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies is the best Beach Read of them all. It is certainly the beachiest because it's the silliest, but yeah. I had a great time reading my basketball history books. too. <laughs> so I think it's about time to talk about our favorite line deliveries 
all of mine are Mr. Collins. That's what I was going to, I literally just wrote in my notes, Mr. Collins. Like I couldn't pick anything. I mean, I feel like if we go by, if we're going by like written line deliveries in the book, I think the best stuff was from Lizzie and Darcy just because those were the quotes I recognized the most. So when those quotes either were tweaked or were about zombie stuff instead, that was the stuff I had the most fun with. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the movie is just, it's anytime Collins, he's so good. And I agree with both of you. It's just like a side of any Pride and Prejudice adaptation that I've seen. He's the best Mr. Collins. It's wild. It is <laughs> yeah, wild. Exactly. I have so much respect for Matt Smith. I, I know who he is. I don't think I've actually ever seen anything with him in it, but I know that he's Doctor Who? who yes, Mark, right? Doctor. Yeah, yes. he was um, number... Ten? He's the scarf one. Is he the scarf? I think yeah, he's he the is scarf the scarf one. one. I thought he was the fez one. No, I think he's the scarf. Well, maybe he is the fez one. But he's an extremely talented actor because he played Doctor Who. He also played uh, Prince Philip in the original seasons of The Crown, oh. which is a very different role. And then he played Mr. Collins. So he's not only just like engaging to watch. He has a lot of range. Yeah, so much range. My favorite moment that he had was when he stood up at the table the day that he arrived. And he asked for Jane's hand in marriage. And Mrs. Bennett's like, oh, no, no, no. She's already spoken for it. And he said, oh, fuddle. And then he like stood there for a little bit. And then he went, is there absolutely no negotiating over Jane? And I was like, I'm, I'm dead. You, you just killed me in my tracks. And now you're a zombie. And yeah, now I'm a zombie. And then another moment that he had was when I don't remember what he did. Oh, he he helped Lizzie carry her muskets. And then he went, gallantry isn't dead. He didn't even help her carry them. He helped her rearrange them and let her continue to carry mm-hmm. them. And went, yep, yep, gallantry yep. isn't dead. He also had a good quote around that scene when the person comes out of the knocked over carriage and is a zombie, but is like talking really well. And at first was crying for help. And then the surprise is that she's a zombie. I think he says something like, soon they'll be running for office too. (laughs) It was really good. But yeah, I I had heard of Matt Smith being a good actor, but I just hadn't seen him in anything. Like I haven't watched Doctor Who and I know he's in some other stuff. So when I clicked play on the movie, which thankfully was free with ads on Tubi, I was very happy when I got to watch it for $0. Oh no, we paid $3 on Amazon Prime. See, I watched it for free on Tubi and my ad blocking thing on my browser blocked all the ads. It was perfect. (laughs) Amazing. It was really good. (laughs) But... When I saw when I clicked it, like they had the movie poster and first I was like, oh, Lily or Lily James. OK, like that, that I could see her being a and I think she does a good job as Elizabeth. I feel like any sort of like mistake was a writing decision, like not an acting decision. Totally. I think she works. But when I saw Matt Smith, I was like, Matt Smith feels like a big get for Mr. Collins, like a, a role that is usually just like whatever. And he nailed it. <laughs> so he stole good. the show. Yeah, he was great. I also felt bad. Sally Phillips. I love Sally Phillips. I think she's so funny. And for her to be Mrs. Bennett, I felt like they, they could have done more with her. Because I feel like Mrs. Bennett is a very funny character. And I feel like they didn't play up her silliness enough. Like, I guess, I guess what makes Mrs. Bennett so funny is like her supreme dedication to getting the girls married. And I feel like that came through sometimes in the movie, but not as much as I think it does in the books. And I was a little disappointed that like they really didn't amp up Mrs. Bennett in the way where like they turned Mr. Collins up to 35, like way past 11. And I feel like they, I I think this gets back to something that both of you said when we were talking about the movie is like, this movie tried too hard to not just be fun. And I feel like this type of movie just needs to amp up the fun. Like I remember when Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter came out, it was perfect because it was like, yeah, this movie does what it says on the tin. 
it's Abraham Lincoln, but he's fighting vampires, and we're not taking it too seriously. Like, that movie should have a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Anybody that goes in to a movie called Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter was like, oh, the plot wasn't great. Like, what the fuck did you sign up for? <laughs> this is Abraham Lincoln colon Vampire Hunter. Right. Like, same thing when when Kong vs. Godzilla came out. People were like, I don't know, the plot felt kind of convoluted. Oh, in the giant lizard vs. <laughs> giant monkey movie, the plot felt a little heavy-handed and it didn't make the most sense. Uh, yeah, dude, that's what you've signed up for. And I feel like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies tried too hard to make the zombies make sense and it wasn't just Goofy and everybody should have been ramped up. Like, I, I honestly didn't even mind Darcy's like weird Batman voice yeah. the whole time because I was <laughs> like, you. I was like, you know what? Sure, it's Mr. Darcy who's already like kind of obnoxious already and now he's a zombie hunter. Sure, he talks like this the whole movie. Fine, chill. <laughs> and and honestly, I think Bingley was done really well too because he was just impossibly nice. I feel like every character should have been ramped up all the way. And when they did it for certain characters, it was great. And when they didn't do it for other characters, it wasn't great. And I just don't understand how you have a movie called Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and you go, but what if there was some realism? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we don't need to believe in it we we already bought into it the minute we came in yeah yeah two things on that one I'm so glad you said he had a Batman voice because my boyfriend is a huge Batman fan and was offended when I compared Darcy to Batman it's Christian Bale's Batman it's Dark Knight Batman and it's fine and it's fine right (laughs) number two um I was gonna say that the despite like our criticisms of the movie here. I do think you are correct that the actors did a pretty good job in this yes, movie. Yes. Um, I think they were all with a couple exceptions. Like I, I don't think any of the actors were to blame for any of the flaws in the movie. They really all were trying really hard. And I think Lily James did a decent Lizzie Bennett for what she was given. I think the problems really stem from the writing and the directing, not the acting. That being said, Mr. Collins hands down. And I just wanted to shout out one more moment. The first time he brings up Lady Catherine de Berg, and he goes, the esteemed patroness Lady Catherine de Berg, and then it just flashes to her like holding the head of a zombie and screaming. Yes, it was really good. Yeah, <laughs> one more really good line delivery that happened that was not Mr. Collins was during Darcy's proposal scene when Lizzie starts beating his ass. Um, and he said that he thought that Jane didn't like her, and she takes like I don't know what she throws at him, but she goes indifferent. She's shy. And then yeah, she, like, that was good. Throws something at him. It was so good. Right. I think o- overall as well, every line delivery that was w- delivered while fighting was fun, and extra props to the fight choreography where at certain like emphatic moments in the quote there would be a punch or a block or whatever. I think that was really fun to kind of use fighting as a way to like bold or italicize certain lines and when those ones were direct quotes from Prime Prejudice were the most fun it's so good absolutely so I think that brings us to our final point which is who wins this zombie franchise who wins Pride and Prejudice and zombies should we do book and movie or just one sure a book a book win and a movie win I think we can all agree movie win is Matt Smith. Yeah, Collins. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt Smith and Collins, we've all done it great. Yes, great check, boom. I feel like book win and just entity win is Jane Austen because mm-hmm. I think it is, and I'm glad your podcast exists and I hope that more people recognize this, but like sometimes people will giggle. Pride and Prejudice slaps and it's a timeless classic and it's like of all the books, the, I remember reading so many books in high school and college where it's like, is this book good or were there just 10 books in 
1900 or whatever. <laughs> and this was the one that like, like, uh, I don't think the Great Gatsby is good. I Or not the Great, sorry, not the Great Gatsby. Maybe the Great Gatsby. I don't think that, what's the fucking Holden Caulfield book? Oh, Catcher in the Rye? Oh, I hated that Catcher book. in the Rye. Catcher in the Rye is not good. <laughs> like, it's not good. It's just, there were five books. Uh, but I feel like Pride and Prejudice, like, it's genuinely incredible. And I, I think it is a disservice to the world that like it's one of those things like oh yeah one of those books we all had to read in high school no you had the privilege of reading Pride and Prejudice in high school it's so good everyone should read it like it should be a thing that everybody reads it's so funny it is alarming how funny Jane Austen could be in 1786 or whatever like I didn't think they made funny people back then it's <laughs> it is wild like I didn't think humor was invented no <laughs> back think then. about this we've been talking about how some 2009 humor has not aged perfectly she wrote this book in the early 1800s and the humor right. is still good it, the book is so funny it's so good and I think that the reason Jane Austen wins is that it proves that this book is super timeless and it just shows that like you can do little different adaptations too. And it's so fun and it's really good. And look at all of the things we've said. The only times we get angry at the adaptations are when they're not that Jane Austen-y. Yeah, <laughs> so totally. I feel like while reading it, I was especially reminded like, right, this book is so good. Jane Austen is so good. Everything about this is so good. And the, the most fun I had reading it is when it was just Pride and Prejudice. So. I think she's the big winner is that it just shows that it's timeless. You can adapt it and it works well when you just minorly do so as opposed to you using it as a launching point like the movie did. Not great. When you just kind of like pay homage as much as you can to the original. Perfect. I don't think I can top that. Yeah, no, I, I just completely agree. <laughs> Not only was that a great answer, but it also just a great advertisement for why everyone should listen to our podcast yes. and learn about Jane Austen. So I mean, thank yeah, you. Like, if, there's, if there's a barrier to entry to reading Prime Prejudice, which like I feel like it's one of those things where I told this story when I was on the podcast, like when I was in high school, it's just like, oh, it's going to be so boring and it's such an old book. It's going to be bad. Yeah, it's like old school, but like it's it's weirdly an easy read. Like it, I remember reading other old books and being confused, especially like Shakespeare stuff. Like reading it and then having to Wikipedia, like what happened? I don't know what what just happened in what I just read. Like having to actively read Spark Notes. It's it's an easy read and it's a good read and it's a fun read. And if there's anything that can get more people to appreciate Brian Prejudice, I stand for it. And if your podcast gets more people to read and understand the books. I'm all for it. Pride Prejudice is so fucking good. It is so good. Well, that seems like a great way to end out this episode of Pod and Prejudice. You're literally the perfect guest because you love Pride and Prejudice so much. So uh, it's just a joy to talk to you every time. So thank you so much for coming on again. And do you want to tell our listeners where they can find the, the rest of your stuff? Sure. First off, thank you so much for having me. This was a delight. And I was, it's funny because I was already picking what books I was going to read on my trip. And then when I had the DMs from you about it, I was like, oh, perfect. <laughs> like, <laughs> great. This is gonna, this is exactly what I need. So thank you again for having me. This is a blast. Always a delight. And I would say if, if folks want to listen to any of my shows, uh, you can search for all of them wherever you get your podcasts. I also just have a website, which is just shubes, S-C-H-U-B dot E-S. And it's got all of my podcasts, which is Potterless, The Newest Olympian, Meddling Adults, Modern Muckraker, and Horse. So I think you would enjoy those if you enjoyed me talking about them. Two of them are about books. So if you're a book podcast type person, I've got two book podcasts and really three with meddling adults because we do a lot of Encyclopedia Brown. So if you're like, this guy was good about talking about books and stuff. Well, bye. <laughs>
great news for you. <laughs> and then I'm also on social media at Shub17 on Twitter and Instagram. If you like me, you know, yelling at Joe Biden to fucking do anything. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> or you know posting pictures of me cooking food on instagram or me yelling about the new york knicks being bad or the new york yankees being good <laughs> all right uh listeners that wraps up this episode of pod and prejudice until next time stay proper and honestly let's all just like go watch something that matt smith is in and show that man some support yeah i i feel like that yes correct yeah <laughs> perfect perfect Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.